Hey guys, Pat Sorois here with a quick announcement about today's episode. Me and Kath recorded this episode all the way back in January. Uh, you guys remember what a crazy time that was for just the nation. Uh, yeah, and we uh, we had a bunch of episodes we wanted to show you before we put this one out. And so we went back and got this one out of the archive. And for whatever reason, the very end of it has cut off. So you're going to hear an entire episode about Brooklyn Electronics Superstore Crazy Eddie. And then right at the end, after we decided it's worth it or not it's going to cut off uh and don't worry you're not missing anything just us plugging shows that have already happened uh so just wanted to give you guys a heads up thanks for tuning in uh listen to the episode enjoy it and remember don't get caught international Another episode of Lie, Cheat, and Steal, the podcast about liars, frauds, thieves, and bullshitters. I'm your host, Pat Soroyce. With me, as always, my co-host, Kath Barbadoro. What's up, Pat? Oh, nothing much. Nothing much. Just uh, settling in here at the Permanent Record Studios in Austin, drinking a free Miller Lite on a Saturday. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah not, not a bad day. Not a bad day. Uh... I don't think it would go good. Work, uh, I worked this week. Uh, I'm still working at the construction type job where I'm. Mm-hmm. So developments. Our, our friend Josh Dobb hired me there, and then he mm-hmm. just moved away from Austin. What he moved? Yeah, he moved to like go help his grandma like re- renovate a house in Kansas City. In okay. Yeah, because he went to. So you all, just have like a permanent job now. Cause so now, left you now there? I just have a job because he's left. I am wildly unskilled. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're like the union guy who like comes. You just have like a cushy spot and you come sit at the break section and like yeah. smoke cigarettes all day. Pretty much, pretty much. That's my <laughs> thing. Like, no, I, I, I mean, I stay, I stay busy because I'm like, I, you know, I, I, I can't be somewhere collecting a paycheck like around other people that are also working and not working. Like, you know, this right. is like, yeah, this isn't where I just like sit spitefully at my cubicle not doing shit. Like, you know, if you're not doing something, it like stands out. Everybody's like, hey, we're all doing something, you know. So, but it's been pretty cool. It's a cool group of dudes, uh, wildly different personalities. I feel like yeah, this a supporting cast from a movie. It's good to. <laughs> <laughs> It's fun, but um, yeah, not other than that. Just uh, been doing that, uh, gearing up for going out to LA next week. So looking forward to that. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. Go. Have had seen Pat in LA by the time this comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Retroactively, go and see me in LA. All right. Um, yeah. So that that's what, what, what's going on, Kath. Uh, how, how are things out there in Brooklyn? Uh, pretty good. You know, I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm planning to come to Austin pretty soon. I guess by the time this is out, I will have also already been, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's good. It's cold here. I'm excited to come back to Austin where it's warm. Just, That's you know, right. usual shit. Yeah. Nothing to report. Sorry. This is bad podcast content. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, I, I think we, uh, I was thinking about like our structure the other day and I was like, you know, we, we, we get them and we don't spend too much on the fucking, the, the ifs and the way ands and the where's and what's going on. In our life we just kind of boom you do it you good you good all right let's do this you know we know 
what people are here for. They're here for they're here yeah. for flyers, frauds, thieves, and bullshit. Yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not here to be jumping from job to job, and you know, like in Kath's various wrestling adventures. We're here for for scams. <laughs> All right, and uh, now, Kath, I, like I said, you're, you're out there in Brooklyn, New York today. Our story actually takes place in Brooklyn, New York. Hell yeah! So yeah, uh, home of many scammers. Home of many. Yeah, that's this is kind of like uh, I would say like the mecca for scammers. They're just you know, it's. it's I feel it's, like a lot of like scheming scheming dudes have their origins in, in Brooklyn. Yeah. And, like, and, and, a lot and, of times they go on to scheme in other places, but, yeah. like, a lot of them start here. Yeah, and I... I That's a totally a compliment, Maybe I'm I think. just thinking of... I might just be thinking of Goodfellas, yeah. but <laughs> that's the vibe I get. Yeah, well, you know, and I mean, that totally is a compliment. If your city cranks out some scammers, like, I, I, I have love for you, you know, and that's... Yeah. that's yeah. I'm not, I'm not gonna bullshit, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, yeah, so today I wanted to, to take a look at the uh, uh, in Brooklyn, New York and talk about um, you know Nowadays, we, we do most of our shopping online. The American retail, uh, the retail giant is certainly dying, uh, but it's not an undeserved death because they also, retail giants killed the mom and pop shops, as everybody knows the narrative. Uh, I want to talk about possibly the the most mom and pop shop of all time and just one of the, basically I want to talk about Crazy Eddie's, uh, Crazy Eddie's Electronics out in Brooklyn, classic. New York. Yeah, A classic, like, the paragon of like local commercials yes. like yeah the most mom and pop for sure yeah yeah like like the, the commercials like changed kind of the way people advertise in general yeah uh, yeah I, I we definitely growing up where i grew up at we had a bunch of commercials that would not have been had it not been for crazy eddie yeah uh, we had the definitely. three the three furniture amigos uh that was like furniture store and clean i forget the name of it but it was these <laughs> three dudes with sombreros and they were just like it's the three furniture amigos and at the end they would all throw their arms up and go why go anywhere else <laughs> <laughs> delightful yeah so uh you know the crazy eddies was that and more and the originator uh and of course it was one of the it was the classic like you'd have to be crazy to charge yeah, these yeah, prices yeah. right their prices are insane yeah. like so that's uh that's crazy eddie and so yeah uh i guess we'll just hop right in at the uh, just to start this the guy himself Himself, Eddie Antar, uh, okay. the guy uh, uh, who started Crazy Eddie's. He was born in Brooklyn, New York, on December eighteenth, in nineteen forty-seven, to Syrian Jewish parents. Uh, his grandparents had relocated from Aleppo to Brooklyn, just with hopes of expanding the family's generations-old tradition of being merchants and shopkeepers. All uh, right, that was, that, so that was he's an Antar. after the family business. Yeah, they were they, they they were movers and shakers since you know the beginning of time. <laughs> These folks. Uh, Eddie's father, Sam Antar, quickly found success in retail when he opened up a consumer electronics shop in 1969 called Sight and Sound. Uh, Sight and Sound was a property of ERS Electronics that was a larger company owned by Sam, his son Eddie, and Eddie's cousin Ronnie Gindy. Uh, I believe it's Gindy or Gindy. I'm going Gindy. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So uh, Eddie was in charge of sales and as, as, at, at the place that was his, his job there, and he had pretty aggressive sales tactics. Soon earned the nickname Crazy Eddie, which Love it. this harkens back to a time when your nickname was just how you were plus your name. <laughs> <laughs> you had a lot of you know, like nervous Phil, you know, just that's yeah, what got, yeah, 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 shaky Pete. <laughs> so this guy was Crazy Eddie, and uh, Sight and Sound was located on Kings Highway in Brooklyn, New York. 
And I know where that is. Do you know the cross street by any chance? I do not. <laughs> so, yeah. Kings Highway. So, like, Kings Highway is in central Brooklyn, and it kind of cuts all the way across kind of diagonally through, uh, like, the center and south part of, of Brooklyn. Nice. So, it's like, if you're thinking, when was this again? Like, the this was uh, This was 1969. Yeah. So, especially during that time, like, it is, like, that's when you think of, like, the early scenes in Goodfellas, like, it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was some t- points where they showed, uh, like, his childhood home and stuff, and you're just like, oh, man, that's the cab stand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, like, classic, uh, like, South Brooklyn-y stuff. Nice, yeah. nice. So, yeah, so that's where it was. Now, it initially offered brand name electronics at relatively average prices. Uh, there was actually very unremarkable uh, sight and sound was. Non-insane. Uh, yeah, it was not insane. It was just very, very predictable. And it uh, predictably, within 18 months, the company had actually gone bankrupt so oh no yeah yeah but eddie saw the value in the brand and decided to buy out his cousin ronnie's shares now his dad sam kept his ownership and relegated the day-to-day operations to eddie so in 1971 the king's highway location reopened under the new name crazy eddie's and that was the 1971 when that was born now um i gotta say if i'm buying electronics i am much more likely to buy from sight and sound than i am from (laughs) crazy (laughs) well yeah this was well this kind of goes in like this place became like they were working class heroes because they will we'll get into how they, they operated under under like during a time where free trade uh, fair trade laws regulated the market and it, it that was like set the stage to kind of squash out the little guy because they couldn't make their own prices we'll get into it but this dude like crazy Eddie's like I don't know I guess he all represented like an alternative to the sight and sound for the yeah he was a, a working class hero this guy crazy Eddie okay. so. but uh, yeah a sight and sound all day over crazy Eddie's <laughs> in New England, or at least in Connecticut, they have a, a package store called Crazy Bruce's. Okay. And uh, it's like the, the logo is this god awful fisheye lens close up of a guy who kind of looks like Crazy Eddie. <laughs> so, yeah. For our non regional listeners, a package store is like a convenience store that sells like liquor, right? Yeah, yeah, it's liquor. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. down in, in Texas, store. you have liquor. It's like in Texas, it's called the liquor store, but then you can also buy beer at a gas station. In Connecticut, you have to buy beer at a packy, like a package right. store. Right. Okay. A pack. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. remember now. Yeah, oh, my cousin's like, dude, we're going to go to the fucking Packy and Mask because they're fucking not doing it in Sundays in Connecticut, dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now, um, now to understand what happened with the Crazy Eddie Empire, you kind of have to understand Eddie Antar's upbringing. Uh, Eddie was born to a family of merchants, and they went back generations. Like, they'd always been, you know, retailers, wholesalers, shopkeepers. Yeah. Uh, back to, they, they're from Aleppo in Syria. Mm-hmm. And so they, um, now when they immigrated, when the family immigrated to Brooklyn, they established themselves in the Arab American community. They were pretty well known. Uh, they worked alongside, you know, Egyptians, Jordanians, Saudi Arabians, and Kuwaitis and like the markets mm-hmm. that they had in their neighborhoods. Uh, they definitely carved out their slice of the American dream using constant hand-to-hand cash transactions hundreds of times a day, day in, day out. You know, that's that's that that fast-paced like shopkeeper lifestyle in New York. Yeah. And I feel like by emphasizing that in this piece, it's like there's a lot of uh, scamming that can be done with small hand-to-hand cash yes, transactions. Quite a bit, man. Like, I, like quite a bit. Yeah, the pawn shop I think might still be the only industry that works like that, and it's it's fucking insane. Like every store I've ever worked at has had a huge like like so, while I was working there, some shit went down where it was like, dude, the area manager was stealing money. Like National yeah, Pawn, yeah, yeah, National Pawn here in Austin uh, just recently underwent a management change because their CFO was fucking a secretary, and she had a ton of missing or was fucking 
talking to one of the store owners and she had a ton of missing inventory in her store that oh, was like shit. Yeah, that, that just happened <laughs> so yeah pawn shops are surprisingly a business where you take advantage of people's poverty is not the most uh, yeah. up and up Precisely. Of, uh, industries. Precisely, yeah. <laughs> oh, also, shout out to Nikita Redcar. I did a roast battle show with her, and we had to do like a freestyle round against each other, and she said, I look like I'm trying to disrupt the pawn industry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Shout out good. to that. That was funny as fuck. <laughs> All right. So uh, now, now, uh, now, so they, yeah, the Antars were in an immigrant community here in America, and uh, the key to survival within those communities is to achieve financial independence. And that's uh, sometimes that means sliding a $20 bill into your pocket instead of the register. That's just how sure. it goes. Because when it goes in the register, it goes in the books. It goes in the books. It's going to get taxed. When it goes in your pocket, it's 20 bucks that you can use for your family to buy groceries, do what you want to do. It's, it's, you know, that, so the, it's the, so- pe- What's that? The American dream. It's yeah, yeah, exa- yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's. So that was the uh, that was the Antar approach to business. So for his entire life, Eddie watched him and his family take the cash earned by the store for the day and hand it out among the family as they saw fit. That was what he came came up in. And so, out of this yeah. environment, it produced uh, Eddie Antar. He was loud. He was confident. They, they say he was muscular, good looking. He was a slick talker. He talked fast. He thought quick. He was like a thoroughbred Brooklyn-born hustler, dangerously ambitious. You know that was. Uh, that was Eddie Antar. And so when he opened Crazy Eddie's 1971, like they were not really an electronic store that turned to crime. They were definitely some criminals who opened up an electronic store. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they were not. Uh, and, I, and I say criminals by their own admission. Like we talked to these guys later in their in, in their things. They, they called themselves crooks, you know? <laughs> so Yeah, like, yeah, they, they opened an electronic store because that was an easy way to uh, get a lot of cash yeah. of which to uh, squirrel away nefariously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was that, that was what they were doing. Uh, so, were, so they, were they stealing from people other than the government? Like, were they really selling electronics? Well, they, they, they were definitely they were selling electronics. They're, they they talk about because um, I, I followed a lot. The cousin is Sam Antar. Uh, okay. Uh, he's the kind of the go-to resource for information in the family these days. AKA, <laughs> he's the one talking. <laughs> but like, uh, he uh, he talked about how there wasn't a culture of respecting the customers either. Uh, they did. They were. They had a very aggressive sales tactics. Uh, very, tactics. Very um, shady bait and switch tactics. You know, like where they, mm-hmm. they the, the commercial said their prices are insane, and you get there and they're just uh, unsettled at best. You know. <laughs> like, <laughs> so there, yeah, there wasn't like it wasn't like they were robbing from the rich and giving to the poor but they also were robbing from the rich there's there's good or bad it it gets into i guess what you value yeah i mean they were they were shortchanging their customers in some ways there well yeah there there was ways uh, about like a lot of times like they would uh you would be buying some crazy eddies you could get a deep discount and it's uh it's you know repackaged and it's used or damaged and shit like this right. so that wasn't uncommon at all right so, okay yeah see so what happened at the time in 1971 uh retailers were governed under strict fair trade laws and now this regulated mm-hmm. the prices at which retailers could sell goods so if sony makes a tv sony gets to say what price it gets sold at and yeah. If a business decides to sell it for less, Sony will no longer sell them TVs. Yeah. And so this was intended to protect the consumer uh, who can now always rest assured they were getting the best price. But it ended up being disastrous for the mom and pop shops because small businesses usually find their advantage in low operating costs. And right. when, you can't trans- when you can't translate the lowered cost into savings for the customer, it's just that you, you have no really reason to stay in business. You're not able to. Right. Uh, so you, like, you can't flex your advantage that you have. So uh, Eddie, not a fan of that. 
did not like not being able to flex. <laughs> That's but possibly his downfall, one would say. Yeah, he just uh, loves to flex yeah, too much. He's got to flex. You know, sometimes it just has to happen. Uh, so, yeah, he openly sold deeply discounted electronics. And so, you know, just advertised them at deeply discounted rates and quickly incurred the scorn of the manufacturers who refused to sell him any more inventory. And mm. so this left Eddie. He would scramble to buy excess inventory from other retailers. Uh, he would even dabble in the gray markets overseas. And mm. however, he is adamant that he never bought stolen goods. He's, okay. Yeah, because he said that was just too I risky. mean, yeah, I guess if he's admitting to all this other stuff, I, I buy it. Like, like would he have, why would he have to lie? You know? Yeah, yeah. I guess he said the stolen the stolen stuff was was too risky, uh, which like it just wouldn't have been yeah. worth. Yeah. So uh, that's good. You know, good point. But um, now, while this did little to endear him to the manufacturers, it made it made him wildly popular with the buying public. Like Crazy Eddie's in Brooklyn soon became known as you know just the spot to buy electronics in the tri-state area. Like if you're in you know, like Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, that was where you went. Go Crazy Eddie's. Yeah, go Crazy Eddie's, and, and so. Uh, in 1972, he actually started championing, championing the repeal of fair trade laws. And when the legislation was eventually toppled, Eddie was like a godlike status among the East Coast consumer because he could just, you know, he said it had crazy prices, wild sales. Uh, it was where people just went to get. And at this time, the digital revolution was kind of taking place. It was the 70s. You could buy, you know, record players and stereos and shit like that. And so this is where you went to get those things. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and so. That was where that was where they went uh, to. You know, they he had a hand at everybody's birthdays, everybody's Christmases. You know, it's impossible to overstate the impact Crazy Eddie had on the day to day life of your average New York citizen in the seventies and the eighties. They said they actually had higher name recognition than Coca Cola and the mayor of New York at the time. So, That's like, beautiful. That's so nice. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, more people just knew, a, a giant in his community. Yeah, yeah, more people knew Crazy Eddie than the fucking than the mayor. Like we're bigger than U.S. Steel. You know. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> And so, yeah, and Crazy Eddie, uh, you know, he knew, you know, basically he knew that his business was only worth the purchasing power of the people who, who knew about it. And so you got to get the name of the business out there. Now, under fair trade, what the retailers, the big retailers had was, uh, that was an uh, invaluable tool was their advertising budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was just, you know, that was what they were able to, like, just arm people out of, uh, you know, strong arm out of business with. So after re- deregulation, Eddie had a huge, wild profits coming in, and he was able to invest in TV commercials. So mm-hmm. in 1979, Eddie met radio announcer Jerry Carroll. Uh, Eddie had bought a radio spot on WPIX FM where Jerry was working as an on-air personality under the name Dr. Jerry. <laughs> and, uh, Love it. His tagline was, prescribing you a rock and roll. Oh, <laughs> shit. Was it really? Yeah, that was it. It was prescribed. That's, like, oh, that's, wow. that's actually it. This tagline that pres- rules. Yeah, <laughs> I thought you made that up. No, 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 not at all. I can't write that gold. <laughs> <laughs> prescribing you a rock and roll. Uh, so, yeah, Jerry read the copy on that particular ad uh, just with such energy and enthusiasm and when Eddie heard it he remarked to the producer that he said uh, I wish all my ads sound like that and so they were like yeah well fucking meet Jerry and so Jerry yeah, yeah a meeting was arranged with Jerry and the result was the ad campaign that is very well why we're talking about them today really like that's like it was uh, he was we, we, we said earlier he was that first commercial where it was just high energy like oh god come on down right. it was this now it's this that would you see everywhere <laughs> yeah. right uh, I, I was gonna uh, he was a pioneer really yeah he really was I was gonna play that real quick uh, play one of those commercials let's see if this doesn't sound good I'll put it like the actual audio of it uh, in 
Imposed. Post. <laughs> I hate saying imposed. I was feeling like, like an asshole. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, here's uh, Crazy Eddie right here, just coming in hot. <laughs> There's like shit just getting thrown at him. We are not undersold. We will not be undersold. We cannot be undersold. And we mean it. It's a crazy Eddie Christmas in August audio blowout blitz. Get anything and everything in audio on sale now. Crazy Eddie Christmas art. Take that insane. That's beautiful. Yeah, so that 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 that's that's crazy. I'm glad Eddie. that Crazy Eddie was back in the day because he would definitely get called ableist today. Yeah, that's what I was thinking this whole time. We're like uh, their their tagline. Is his prices are insane. And yeah, like, very ableist. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was like, oh man, this is, this is funny. You wouldn't see anybody. Yeah, doc, yeah, crazy. <laughs> yeah, I I used to work at a burger joint in Coppers Cove, Texas, called Crazy Canadian, and it was owned by this dude. Those named, famous Canadian burgers. They're yeah, this, so you, you know, yeah, the famous Canadian burgers. Uh, and this this. This guy was like Michael Scott proportions of boss wackiness. And oh, he was, no. he was this, this guy named Michael Goldstein and he worked at HEB and he saved up a bunch of money and he took a year off to build this hamburger business. And he was just like, like, would like not reorder like soft drink syrups because he had a fight with the fucking delivery guy and so he like would serve canned oh soda and make God. no money and he was just his name was, but his name was Mike but everybody called him crazy and he goes you <laughs> see that everybody called me crazy like everybody called me crazy he, he would he had a pitch to his oh, name oh wow <laughs> it's like no we call you that because you are yeah yeah or they, so uh, it's not like you're proving us wrong yeah. like you are crazy <laughs> yeah he, and he was he was he was nuts so yeah they, like I think back in the now crazy Canadian I was like that was funny <laughs> so <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that was uh, that was Crazy Eddie's Eddie's jam. Uh, those commercials, uh, they were like they recorded over seventy five hundred commercials. Wow. Yeah, so seventy five hundred. TV anyway. and radio, right? Yeah, TV and radio, and uh, and that guy. Um, Jerry was uh that 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 dude he was often regarded like as Crazy Eddie like people thought he was him. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. he said that happened to it. Like Crazy Eddie was pretty well known, and he said he like, he couldn't walk down the street. Like every time he walked down the street in New York, he said people were just like, "Oh, I bought my first stereo from you," or "I bought the da da da." And they all sounded like Aww. this. You know? yeah, yeah. And uh, but he yeah, like Jerry would go everywhere and like get this like more so the reaction. Everybody thought he was Crazy Eddie, and he said to the point where it was like it definitely impacted his life negatively. Especially when everything went down, but he said he, mm. didn't, he didn't like it from Jump Street. Yeah, everybody thinking he was. He crazy didn't want the it. fame. The, yeah, uh, yeah, he was in it for the love of insane prices. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, what's funny is uh, now Eddie had a very active like role in the creative process behind those commercials. Mm-hmm. They say he was like a crazy perfectionist, uh, and so he was known to turn like four-hour shoots into like eight-hour days, and he would have Jerry like, "No, yell it again, Jerry, go again." Do uh, it again. <laughs> Poor Jerry. <laughs> Poor Jerry. Have to drink so much hot water with lemon just all day. Yeah. <laughs> Keep that instrument in yeah. prime condition. It would like it, 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 he was also credited though. He had the original line because the tagline is "His prices are insane." Uh, originally, what Jerry would say at the end was, "Come on down to Crazy Eddie's. This guy's insane." <laughs> and, <it> would, <laughs> <laughs> and Eddie had the idea of "His prices are insane." <laughs> much better. Good yeah. job, Eddie. Yeah, he's like, I don't like your version so much because it calls me insane. <laughs> like whereas in <laughs> this one, but I do think that's funny because maybe that was just Jerry 
screaming for help. Like he's like, this right. guy's insane. He's making me do this over and over again. Please save me. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was the uh, that was the kind of like what was going on there as far as cementing them uh, in the minds of New Yorkers. And uh, but all of this, like the ubiquitousness of the brand, the TV commercials that stayed stuck in your head, the now thirty nine locations between Texas, New Jersey, and Connecticut. All Damn. Of it, yeah. All of it contributed to the bottom dollar that was being pocketed each and every night at the close of business. So all of this was to drive how much cash they could just take right out the bag and just go home with. Mm-hmm. And they would talk about how they were pulling in like 50,000, 30,000, 40,000 a night. Damn. And they, yeah, they would just be That's like... That's like more money than I've made in a year. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, back to back to back to back to back. So that's fucking crazy. Um, and like also, like every senior management position was filled by uh, an Antar family member who was totally yeah. in on the scam and completely loyal to the family. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, that, they really drove that family shit home, like the culture of secrecy and loyalty yep. with the company. You gotta keep people on the inside. Like, yeah. Absolutely. And they fostered that in like some really crazy ways. They actually... They uh, they made up a secret language. Whoa! Yeah, it was like a, a pigeon of Arabic, Pig Latin, and like industry slang term, like, yeah. like retail retail slang terms. Some of which they said was like old, like like shopkeeper terms that were like generations old back in Syria. Yeah, like so, old Jewish Syrian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, by the way, uh, related to this, so a language like that, a secret industry language, um, is called a cant. That's that's oh, the name of, okay. of that. And uh, a really good Wikipedia page is the Wikipedia page about cants and the list of cants. It's very interesting. Nice. And there's a lot of really good like links to like pages about different cants, and you can like learn different words. Like Carney is sort of a cant. Like yeah, there's yeah, yeah. Some that are kind of that, but yeah, that's that's what it's called, and uh, I think that's really cool. That's so. But cool. anyway, so yeah, yeah I listen to a lot of their own own cant. Yeah, I listen to a lot of language podcasts. Uh, uh, shout out history English language in the world in words uh, <laughs> but yeah that's like it's it's fascinating to me like just like the origin of a phrase or like the fact that this little community exists that it speaks this crazy specific like hyper specific language that yeah. only applies to like 50 people right it only applies to like 50 people and like the bulk of it it's interesting to see how like the linguistic like structure is dictated by how it's used so it's like i'd imagine that the crazy eddies can't is probably like has like a million words for various electronic things and like no words for uh, other very basic yeah. like it's just interesting the way yeah. that it's got like a hundred words for ice you know <laughs> like, like exactly, that. exactly. Yeah. it's like the eskimos but yeah. for stereos or whatever yeah um my uh my girl's kids um watch a lot of cat in the hat like the old tv specials the cat in the hat like the original one that's on some pretty heavy rotation in the crib and uh I, so I've had time to like look at it and analyze it and it's fucking bonkers just by the way um, <laughs> but like they had this part where he talks about how uh I'm a cat in a hat in French shot chateau in Spanish I'm a gato in a sombrero and that goes on he does all these different languages but I love how many uh allusions you have made to children's television in the last like several episodes <laughs> just because you clearly just like have to like hang out with kids all the time yeah, you're just yeah, like these like, are your references now yeah 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 with my girls kids all the time yeah like it's, you know they watch and it's it's interesting it's bizarre like i like that shit like but yeah i i reference that stuff quite a bit but uh 
they, uh, they, yeah, so it's like at one point he gets, uh, he gets talking about how, like, I'm this and that, and he goes, I'm a junka and a gunka quunk in Eskimo. And I looked it up, <laughs> complete racist gibberish. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not woke at all. Not remotely woke. Yeah, that whole song Very is problematic. That whole fucking cat in the hat is a goddamn home invasion, is what it is. He just, <laughs> Very problematic. Home invasion, they gaslight the fucking the, the fish the whole time. They, the kids have <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome. It is a very, very weird show. Yeah, that's uh, if you get a chance to check it out, definitely do. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so they, they had their own language, uh, and Eddie was readily accessible to all Crazy Eddie people. In fact, they didn't call themselves employees or boss or anything. They called themselves Crazy Eddie people. That's Crazy Eddie people. They, yeah, they were Crazy Eddie people. That was like the the the... the term for their collective <laughs> so if you had a problem you went to Eddie and he took care of it and uh, like after the Christmas holiday se- season ended Eddie was like routinely doling out large cash bonuses to employees they say he developed like a cult leader type status everyone looked up to that. him yeah now securities litigator Howard Sirota who would eventually um, you know take them down um and actually grew up with them in the same neighborhood as him and his cousin Sam. Is there a movie about this yet? Like, no, this is a movie. There, there needs to be. Like, <laughs> like say, yeah. a- investigating agent growing up in the same neighborhood is like classic yeah. shit. Yeah, that, Keep that. Yeah, exactly. That, 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 that rarely gets to happen. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so, like what The Departed is about. Yeah, like, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, that's, that's The Departed. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so Eddie Ansar. Um, yeah, so yeah, he was just like a larger than life Brooklyn. The, the uh, Sirota called him a larger than life Brooklyn Fonz type figure. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, he uh, he also later calls him a fucking complete sociopath, which it, okay. it, it fits. Uh, <laughs> so Eddie was a very aggressive salesperson, like very aggressive. Like, and uh, yeah. his sales his salespeople learned from him quickly. It was not uncommon for Eddie to follow customers out of the store in order to talk them into buying merchandise. The model yeah. was to make every beha, which is the Arabic word for sale. So and make every beha, and I, I've worked a ton of sales jobs, and the next one I've heard nobody walks, nobody walks. All right, <laughs> everybody goes out with so yeah. That's so like I've heard that a lot. So, yeah. Um, and they say he was like a ruthless competitor, uh, you know, because he knew that the business could not survive in the long run if it constantly offered steep discounts. So I mean, he knew like there was no bottom to what he was doing. Uh, right. And so like. Uh, it's what had somehow had earned enough edit revenue to pay the bills. So therefore, Eddie resorted to a combination of income tax evasion, uh, stealing sales taxes, and uh, also like because when you do a cash sale, you have to present the cat the the sale to the customer. Like if they if they get a five dollar item and you're like that'll be five bucks, like they're like, well, what about sales tax? Like they, people, you know that that cues people right. off. So you have to take the sales tax too. So when you're not reporting those incomes, you're essentially and I, and I never thought of it like directly like that. When you're taking cash like that for the sale, you're straight up stealing the tax off the of it. The sale like, tax, yeah. yeah the sale, I mean, like, whether or not that's even fucking legitimate or valid is a different argument, but I was like, oh yeah, I guess that's how they would justify that. They'd be like, yeah, you're legitimately just stealing. Right, like, you're charging somebody for something that you are not then paying. So yeah. they are, they are paying a sales tax and you're taking it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, so I was like, oh yeah, I guess that would be like straight up, straight up theft. Uh, they said they would also, um, 
just they would use uh, tax evasion to reduce its labor costs and make the company seem more competitive against other retailers. Uh, some of the cash skimming was used to pay crazy, crazy Eddie people off the books and to avoid paying payroll payroll taxes. They would do that. So, mm-hmm. uh, and employees uh, also when they were paid off the books, they didn't they didn't pay income taxes or social security taxes. So this was a clear win win for the whole crazy Eddie family. So everybody's just getting fucking loot. Um, right. Like I'm I'm being paid on a W nine this year, not a W two, and uh, mm-hmm. it, 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 you're definitely like, oh damn, these checks are nice. And you're like, oh wait, I got to give some of this back. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. sucks like that. I I've had that for the last couple years because I I I would say like how about half my income is from W nines, and yeah. it's like it's great when you have it, and then you get to the end of the year, and if you haven't saved a little bit to pay your taxes, like you are fucked. Yeah. You are yeah. so fucked. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and so like this is how it kind of went down. The 1970s customers were much more likely to pay for uh, electronic items with cash than they are now and mm. uh, they took full advantage of that so when a customer paid in cash like I said Crazy Eddie stole the sales taxes making an additional unreported gross profit of about 8% so this gave uh, this uh, offered a great competitive advantage against the competitors who were conducting their business legitimately so obviously so they, had, they, were, they were beating them out mm-hmm. uh, and they used like very high pressure bait and switch tactics to steer customers towards higher profit margin merchandise after their, you know they would beat mm-hmm. them in the store with the hey we'll beat any price that was the thing you find a price we'll beat it bring it in you know we got like, yeah. like we'll, we'll beat it and then they upsell them really aggressive yeah exactly yeah so the first salesperson they had three the three salesperson jobs each customer the first salesperson's main job was to switch the customer or the SW they would call it do the SW <laughs> to the customer to a higher margin products and services for example the salesperson would recommend alternative like higher quality products of better value uh, yeah. and higher they would offer the extended warranties which was always a bad deal for the customers uh, yeah. and in the first in the in the first sale if the first salesperson did not succeed in switching the customer to higher margin products uh, a second salesperson was assigned to ease into the conversation and take over or to the customer in effort in order to make a bigger profit so if the second salesperson was unsuccessful in swaying the customer to purchase higher margin products a third salesperson known as the nail at the door or the nad <laughs> would make the final effort to convince the customer to purchase the higher margin products and services only why did people like this store yeah i don't know i think it just shows like the just the the advertisement and it's just that that's your that's your thing that's your place and i can't i don't know i'm sure this was particularly high pressure but i mean how different was this than the experience in other brooklyn shops they were experiencing that's true a lot of the stuff that they're saying is like i feel like just incorporated into like most local businesses here like yeah I, I don't know like if you go to a not really a bodega but like there's like a lot of stores that are sort of in between like bigger and more specialized than a bodega but not as big as like a chain store or a grocery store like a lot of hardware stores um or like places where you would go for like a specific like a paint store like a health food store like things like that in brooklyn yeah i feel like do all of this stuff like yeah. a lot of them are kind of like you don't know if you're getting a new thing or you're getting something that was taped back up into a package yeah. and like it's like you get the sense that you can kind of haggle you know like yeah, there's a yeah. lot of that here yeah like 
it, not so much the aggressive sales tactics, but like just sort of the unknown provenance of the stuff that you're getting is like very common here. I would yeah, say. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was that was no different here. Like like they said, you know, if they didn't have a particular product in stock at the time, it was sold to the. Uh, if they didn't have a particular product in stock, they would just like get a floor item, you know, or previously returned merchandise. Yeah. Uh, they they called them reaps because they'd repackage such merchandise yep. as brand new and sell to unsuspecting customers. Uh, one of the episodes yeah. of last podcast on the left, they had to go get a drill from somewhere in Brooklyn, and mm-hmm. they, they, they were recording, and they were like, yeah, we just had an adventure. They like got a drill that was like obviously used and put back in yeah. a new box. <laughs> yeah, like there's just a lot of like, that's a lot of the economy in Central and South Brooklyn in particular, yeah. I think. It's just, just like places like that. And it's like, it's fine. I mean, it's things are cheap. Like things are inexpensive. And like you usually do get a discount if you pay in cash. And I don't know where it goes, but like I have my stuff. So yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Like it doesn't bother me. Yeah. But uh, it's, I, it definitely yeah. is sounding familiar. When I stayed uh, with. Uh, um, God damn! I can't remember our friend's name who stays in Brooklyn. Uh, Blake, Blake Midget. Uh, when I stayed with Blake Midget in uh, in Brooklyn, uh, I remember like walking out of the house, like the, like the first like stretch of sidewalk outside of his door. There was like mad sunglasses out and shit. Like, it was just, yeah, yeah, yeah was, like, a lot Im- of that. Immediate uh, marketplace. As soon as you walk outside the door. Yeah, like I used to live right by a place like that. It was like so I lived on the corner of my old block. There was a big mosque and yeah. uh there were a lot of businesses sort of immediately adjacent to the mosque that were run by like either directly run by the mosque or just like people in the in that community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like they all sold yeah, they always had like the bootleg DVDs. They had um the a, a big one for like the Islamic community in New York for some reason is um, like smell alike perfumes so they have like custom oh, yeah, perfumes yeah. that are like like oh this one's obsession or whatever yeah, but yeah. it's they eat it like there's a lot of that it's it's really interesting but That's yeah there wild. are like a whole bunch of those stores like right by where uh, some were just like tables outside the mosque but then there were some actual storefronts too that were just like selling that kind of stuff uh, and it's like yeah I mean it's the it supports the economy of yeah. this like whole community and you can get stuff i mean it's like a lot of it is like cheaply made like you know shenzhen china aliexpress like crap but yeah 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 if you're thrifty and you need some crap then like sure (laughs) (laughs) there it is yeah (laughs) i i was in like i think we were in washington square park when i went to new york last year and i bumped into martin urbano and kelsey kane and we went to like these little vendor tables out there and kelsey was asking um them about like about selling well, what they needed to sell out there and the guy was just like this dude was like very hostile but he was just like you ever heard of the first amendment if it's freedom of speech you don't have to label it as that it is so if you're selling <laughs> art you can just sell it and she goes so if i'm selling art he's like have you not heard of the first amendment he was like it was very aggressive it was, it was a strange <laughs> a strange interaction but, uh, yeah so uh so yeah so for a while uh like yeah so this is basically you know the the end result of everything was just steady streams of cash, rarely going reported. For a while, Eddie kept the fraud alive using all sorts of tricks that he'd learned in his family. Uh, but as the business grew, so did the talent necessary for hiding the fraud it was fueling. So it was in mm. response to this that Eddie made the fateful decision to send his cousin, Sam Antar, to college to become an accountant. 
So, yeah, yeah. What a nice guy, cousin. Got to send him to school to cover the family. Yeah, fraud. he's gonna send me to be an accountant. Oh, that's so cute. You know? <laughs> uh, shout out to Rob Gagnon's uh, one man show. Like you gotta go to college. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> uh, it's called Hats. It's weird. Look it up. Anyway, uh, Sam Antar had been working uh, at Crazy Eddie since it opened in 1971. He was 14 at the time, so he was put to work doing whatever tasks Sam could find for him. He stocked shelves. He sold stereos. He did it all. Uh, Sam idolized his older cousin Eddie and since childhood wanted nothing more to impress him. So all the ingredients for a huge betrayal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so from 1975 to 1980, Sam Antar attended Bernard M. Baruch College and majored in public accounting. Uh, I always ask you college questions, Kath. Have you ever heard of that place? Mm, what's it called again? Sorry. Bernard M. Baruch? No. Okay. No. Oh, wait. Yes, that's in Brooklyn. I know oh, where that okay. is. Okay. All right. Cool. Bernard Baruch. Um, that name, if I heard that without the M in the middle, I would think that was like in Yiddish or something. <laughs> like, oh, Bernard Baruch. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it is like a. I, I, I think it's pronounced Baruch. I might be wrong. Baruch? It is. Okay. I'm pretty sure it is a Jewish school. Okay, okay. Pretty yeah, sure. Uh, his tuition was paid in full by the Antar family with the expenses, uh, with the express intention of using Sam's education to further the family's criminal enterprise. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to understand the next chapter of the Crazy Eddie saga, uh, we now turn to Sam Antar himself. This is a quote from his blog <laughs> that he wrote about this. Aww. Yeah, yeah. He actually, this dude, he goes around now and he's uh, on like a, a, a journey of attrition trying to make up for all this shit. Yeah. Like seminars like and my, stuff. That and he, my uncle put me up to. Yeah, whatever. he works for free. Is what, what, what he said. I'm sure there's, I, I mean, nothing's free. <laughs> so <laughs> he said, uh, around 1980, we decided to go public. We reasoned that with Crazy Eddie as a public company, we could unload our stock at inflated prices on unsuspecting victims. This would be more profitable than skimming cash sales because tax evasion and paying employees off the books make money, but we anticipated getting a bigger bang for the buck by inflating earnings as a public company. So they had their eyes on the prize. Wow, um, yeah, they were going to go big. Yeah, th now this is when you move into like just like small potatoes to like a large potato <laughs> like this is a, a like, very large potato yeah, yeah. very large potato <laughs> so um he said when a public company reports a profit those earnings are divided by each share of common stock outstanding I want to make sure I get this right. When a public company reports a profit, those earnings are divided by each share of common stock outstanding to com compute earnings per share. So if yep. a company reported a $1 million profit and has 1 million shares outstanding, its earnings per share is $1 per share. $1 million profit divided by 1 million shares outstanding. So that being said, if a public company stock is traded at, a, at multiple earnings known as the price earnings ratio or PE ratio, if it, now... If the stock in the above example trades at $30 per share, so that $1 stock is trading at 30 per share, the P.E. ratio is 30, so $30 per share of $1 earnings per share equals 30 P. If that company's management inflated its earnings by a million, it would now report earnings of $2 million or $2 per share. Essentially, this continues to expound and go up to the point where if you inflate earnings by a million dollars, uh, you can take... Um, yeah, all things being equal, if you inflate earnings by $1 million or $1 per share added $30 million, that would add $30 million to the company's market cap. So insiders can then pocket $30 per share of ill-gotten gains. So essentially when you you know, just increase your uh, your company's earnings, it obviously has a direct effect on your market cap and you just, you know, you, there's more money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. I think 
I know. I think I know what you're trying to say. I don't get exactly the math, but yeah. I understand the gist of it. Yeah, when I was writing that down last night, like that made when I was when I copied and pasted that last night, I was like, this makes sense. I get it. I was like oh, that makes sense. Yeah. But essentially, yeah. So with the company going public, Crazy Eddie's anticipated more scrutiny to their accounting accounting practices. So the business was routinely audited as it was, and uh, now they had and they had already developed some pretty wild tactics to combat it. Uh, they covered inventory shortages through numerous insurance claims for damaged goods. One investigator said they had more fires and floods in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Eddie knew that the heat brought on by going public was going to need to be met with more firepower than fake floods and insurance claims. So this led to perhaps his most brazen move uh, was that was getting his cousin Sam a job at Penn and Horowitz. That was the very task, the very very firm task with auditing crazy Eddie's. So he definitely departed his cousin <laughs> in into wow. the accounting firm that was auditing their company. So uh, Sam describes his job at Penn and Horowitz as having one very clear stated goal, protecting his family from the government. <laughs> yeah. So and not only was he privy to the dates of surprise audits, he was also able to decide who conducted those audits. So Sam would say that he would exclusively send young first-year male accountants to audit his family's retail empire, and the accountants were chosen specifically <laughs> to be the least responsible ones he could find. <laughs> and nice. When they arrived at the store, they'd be. I'm looking for a few bad men. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he's looking for. Uh, when they arrived at the store, they would be greeted by Eddie himself, along with one of any number of the gorgeous young female employees that Eddie staffed his stores with. Oh, uh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. This is just classic he, he was shit. Getting them from all angles. He was yeah. just covering all his bases here. This is like that little that this is like that little Wayne and fucking Kendrick song with the Mona Lisa stuff. You know, like uh, these so these girls assisted the auditors for the entirety of their visit. Uh, you know, and they were so accommodating, they would actually climb ladders in their skirts to shout out down falsified inventory numbers. <laughs> so <laughs> they would go up and you have a row wow. a row of ten TVs stacked seven high and ten rows deep, and she'd be like, There's seven hundred TVs up here. A quick climb up the ladder would reveal Oh my the empty space behind the false cube of mainly empty boxes. But the men were always just, you know, flirting, hanging out with these girls. Yeah. Uh, the assistants Yeah, the assistants would always be like, Hey, let's get lunch and take them out on a one on one lunch and usually before they had a chance to lock up their paperwork. Uh, so they'd be out to lunch. Eddie would slide in. He would look at all of their stuff, get a detailed nice. image of the info being reported. And when necessary, he would arbitrarily change ones to sevens or fours to nines. <laughs> Just love it. Because that's a higher number. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much needs to be there, but I'm certain that seven is better than one. I know that. Absolutely. I yeah. can tell that much. Yeah. Uh, four, nine, five more than four. Yeah, 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 yeah. Boom, bang. We're in the clear. We're in the black. But uh, so during this time, the family made routine trips to Israel all the time with hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash strapped to their bodies. Uh, they would deposit this cash in Israeli accounts and then transfer it to separate accounts in Panama. They would then funnel the money back through the business into the U.S. They called this the Panama Pump. <laughs> The Panama Pump. The Panama Pump, baby. I love these guys. I'm sorry. This yeah. is such charming crime. It's yeah. so charming. Yeah, it's it's cool as shit. These guys are these guys are killing it. Um, like I, I will say, there's never really a part where like. 
I guess like Sam, the guy who's like like gone to the, the feds, like talks about being morally conflicted. He talks about he can't sleep at night. He's probably gonna fry in hell. And like I don't know. I just like I'm like, are you still scamming us, buddy? Because like, it doesn't. It seems like he's being very very like. I can't believe what I did. Oh my god, I'm such a bad guy. Like yeah. So I don't know. Whereas an Eddie does not seem to think that anything right. he did was wrong. That's like the one thing that is not charming about this to me is that like there that there's like people being sort of forced into this by Eddie's mastermind. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, yeah, he he definitely guided this young man's future. And, exactly. Uh, you know, that, that, that can't be overlooked. So, uh, yeah, so the, the uh, this fraud, all of it, like we said, it was people were being guided, it was against their wills because this whole thing all depended on the family acting together as a tight-knit unit. So, um, Eddie at this point it was pretty high of his own status and uh, he definitely became way more flagrant with his affairs that he would carry mm-hmm. out uh, as uh, his cousin put it Eddie was a ladies man which it's never you nobody wants to be described like you want to be described that as, as that but like, I think that you, you think about it like I don't want to be called a ladies yeah, man yeah <laughs> like anybody who actually gets described that way is usually like kind of gross yeah like a fucking creep yeah exactly so uh, Eddie Antar was a ladies man and was not faithful to his wife Debbie Rosen Antar because in fact he had a mistress Name and Deborah Deborah Ehrlich, and so and they were known within the family as Debbie One and Debbie Two. <laughs> oh man, yes. that's this is just like Lucille, like Lucille One and Lucille Two. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe that's where they got the inspiration from. Maybe that's actually very, mm. that, that, that's, uh, so. On New Year's Eve, uh, Sam Antar was tipped off that his son Eddie planned on spending the night with Debbie Number Two. Now, Sam and his father were like, or Eddie and his father Sam. Did, they, like, did he comically mix up his schedule and accidentally go to Debbie One and blow the whole plan <laughs> like, a, like a terrible comedy movie? Yeah, no just wondering. Yeah, yeah, more like uh, more like just a uh, uh, just a terrible drama. Maybe I don't know. He, he basically he went and parked his car his, his limo with. This, with this, you know, the new Debbie and his father found heard that they were that they were out at wherever they were, and now his father and him were starting to beef at this point because his dad was like legit jealous of his success because he still owned the, uh, the the ERS Electronics, which was like the parent company that owned all this these these you know crazy Eddies, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Crazy Eddie was getting all the glory, and you got to remember that's like part of what it was for the Antars was like the glory, and so it wasn't yeah. just the fact that he was getting paid that like he didn't like everybody thought Eddie was the man, and so uh, so his dad kind of had it out for him, and he found out that he was going to be with Debbie number two, so he sent his daughter and his daughter-in-law. Um, uh, Debbie, or yeah, he sent his daughter and his daughter-in-law from his other son to accompany Debbie number one to Manhattan and catch Eddie in the act of partying with his mistress in the back of his this limo. This is this is like as confusing as you explaining the stocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. So Debbie number one can conf- yeah. So so so. Debbie rolls up to him and Debbie number two, and she's got she's flanked with two family members uh, on a tip given by Eddie's father, um, the courtship of Eddie's father. <laughs> so Debbie number one uh, confronted Eddie walking to a stretch limousine with Debbie number two, and a huge fight erupted between them. So everybody's fighting out in the streets. Afterwards, Eddie vowed revenge against his father, which is always the start of the best phase of your life. And um, immediate fa- and he v- uh, vowed revenge against his father and his immediate family members for setting him up, and deep rifts emerged 
diverge within the Antar clan. Uh, Sam Antar describes the role that Riff played in the company's undoing. He said, the family infighting was blamed for contributing to Crazy Eddie's weak financial performance in 1987. Uh, Eddie and I heard rumors of a possible hostile takeover by parties interested in buying the company, quote unquote, on the cheap. Investigators had no idea, or investors had no idea that Crazy Eddie was a massive fraud. So him and Eddie were concerned because they got taken over by somebody who was not a friendly family unit. Just like yeah. a cursory, yeah, a cursory look at a books is going to show that like, you know, this is all a house of cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, so what they do is um, in April 1987, uh, they were here we go. Um, yeah, so their plan was basically to raise the money on the outside of themselves and then sell the company off and then have that cash in there to plug up the holes, essentially. Mm. And so in April 1987, they were approached by legendary businessman and billionaire investor Milton Petrie, uh, who wanted to partner with them on a management-led buyout of Crazy Eddie. A couple weeks later, they were approached by another billionaire named Sam Bellsberg with a uh, similar proposal. Ultimately, Eddie chose Bellsberg as a partner to take over the company because he thought Bellsberg was dumber. <laughs> that was, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he thought the Bellsberg family were all just idiots who's old money with no fucking cunning and he believed that the unsuspecting Bellsberg family would give them full latitude to run the business and cover up the previous frauds. So after the planned takeover Crazy Eddie they planned on merging the company with another consumer electronics retailer and then blame any financial problems on the other partner in the merger. <laughs> <laughs> hey, our fucking books look great until we started fucking around with you. Who are you guys? Circuit City? Five. Fuck out of here. <laughs> so they, uh, at this point, uh, Eddie Antar uh, makes a defensive move to take Crazy Eddie private um, to avoid this from happening. So the Bellsberg family tries to stop to take the company's private and buy them out. Uh, however, because I guess the open nature of all of this between corporate entities, another investor by the name of Elias Zinn from Houston, Texas, was able to come in, and he actually completed the hostile takeover and got the company and he was like about his business so now they're, they're nervous and so the company was now owned by outsiders every member of the Antar family was now dismissed uh, they soon discovered that uh they, they had the company for a few months and then very quickly discovered there was $80 million in missing inventory. And wow. so, yeah. And so, fearing exactly this, Eddie had quietly cashed out $40 million in stock and fled the country and left Sam completely holding the bag. So, Sam made the decision to cooperate. Poor Sam. Yeah, poor Sam. Uh, Sam made the decision to cooperate with authorities almost immediately. Uh, Eddie tried to carve out a new life for himself in Israel, but he never quite understood the meaning of laying low. He had millions, but he couldn't spend it without drawing attention that drove him crazy uh by 1991 he had drained some his cash reserves that he had on hand and he made a trip to geneva switzerland to access more of his money when he got there he was told that his accounts had been frozen by the u.s government and so eddie was indignant he demanded his money he was told no again he decided to notify the police and said the bank was illegally withholding his money so like don't call the cops if you're on the run it's just like a yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's kind of like yeah I, I, it, it's like if you like break into somebody's house and then they like punch you and then you call 911 yeah, yeah, you no, sort of, yeah, like yeah. it doesn't yeah, so yeah. You, you bought you bought drugs somebody stole your money it's just like okay you can't get the cops involved in this like, exactly yeah yeah so uh, a quick chat with the bank when the cops talked to them they revealed his status as a, as a fugitive so Interpol yeah. easily tracked him down to Israel and they set up the only sting operation that makes sense with dealing with a guy like Eddie 
They positioned an undercover female officer on the street near his house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And she was looking under the hood of a broke town car and a miniskirt and high heels. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it was actually Lola Butter, but it was Bugs Bunny with a wig on and shit. Right. (laughs) Yeah. No, the the reenactment they have in the documentary of this is fucking hilarious. So. It, it's, it's the Sirota guy, the guy who they grew up with, yeah. who's their person. Yeah. He's telling this story about what happened. And they have an actor, like in a reenactment, you know, he's driving down the street in Israel, just looking all fucking cool. And he sees this, this chick, and Sirota goes, and she's out there. She's got a short skirt, no underwear. I don't think that's true. I think she had underwear on, and he's making <laughs> that up. <laughs> Just embellishing for but fun. That, yeah, but so per Sirota's thing, he goes, so, you know, a guy like Eddie, he pulls over, he goes over there, walks up, and according to Sirota, grabs the girl's ass. And, uh, yeah, just so it wasn't even like he came up and was like, hey, what's up? And it was cool. It was definitely like he rolled in right. like a creep. But however, just this is- like full creep right yeah, away. Yeah, this is Sirota telling the story, and he doesn't like him, so who knows? It's true. Grain of salt, grain of salt. Yeah. Although, like, given everything else we know about Eddie, like, yeah, yeah, was it- not super surprised if that's what happened. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, the, the, so in the reenact, it's the the actress has like the the, the black skirt on and or the black dress and she has a blonde hair and she turns around and it's like and she's like you know like like puts this fucking you know like the reenactments are all like vaguely silent and shit you know yeah and she turns and like puts his like, like slams him on the fucking car and starts handcuffing him but before she does that she takes the blonde wig off and she just has like <laughs> equally luxurious beautiful brown hair. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! Yeah, I like a, a different way. Yeah, surpri- I'm still hot. <laughs> it just made it made no sense. It's really funny. Yeah, so that that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, so anyways, Eddie was arrested uh, on June of 1992 uh, on federal racketeering and conspiracy charges. He was extradited to the United States in January 1993. Uh, he pleaded not guilty, and his trial began in June of 93. Eventually, he was uh, found guilty on three counts and acquitted of two because he was charged with uh, 17 counts of fraud and he was found guilty on three of those and acquitted of two he was sentenced to 12 and a half years in prison Uh, his lawyers immediately in 92 so he's out now right he's out he actually he passed away in 2016 Oh, we miss him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Eddie, we think about you every day, bro. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, uh, it, yeah, eventually that came in. Um, now, his, uh, now his, the guy who was persecuting him was a guy named uh, Chertoff. He was a federal agent and he, uh, or federal prosecutor, and he called Eddie the Darth Vader of capitalism. <laughs> which wow. The worst of the Eddie, worst. <laughs> Eddie must have thought that was sweet. That's like a cool yeah, nickname. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, that's, that's really honestly the nicest thing that was ever said to me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's like finding his whole brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a tear coming out of his eyes. He's like, oh, you mean that for real? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so he was ordered to pay. Uh, he actually appealed and got eight years in prison. So he was ordered. Oh, wow. to, yeah, he was ordered to pay more than 150 million dollars in fines, uh, in addition to the more than one billion dollars in judgments against him, resulting from various civil suits, efforts to recover the additional money from the Antar family on behalf of defrauded uh, stockholders were completed in 2012, and dollar for dollar, this was one of the most successful financial recoveries the U.S. government ever conducted. Wow, so he was actually able to pay off all of the stuff. Or I guess that they, just had, they had so much goddamn cash just laying around. Right. Like, like it was yeah. So like. 
he was actually charged like you have to pay this much and it was like one of the only times someone actually was able to do that yeah Is yeah that, am i yeah, understanding yeah, exactly. that right yeah or the, the yeah the highest percentage like one of like because it's never it's never 100 percent right, like right. but like this was like was the most successful wow. now his cousin sam because of his uh, cooperation was sentenced to six months of house arrest including uh cost of monitoring he had 1200 hours of community service three years of probation ten thousand and one hundred dollars in fines uh and fees his criminal sentence did not limit uh his civil liability to other government entities and civil litigants i don't know what that meant but <laughs> either way what he did was he got into like the, the the speaking circuit and goes around talking to like business ethics classes and shit about uh, yeah about you know what it's like to interact. About with how not letting your uncle swindle yeah, you. Yeah, very- yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I watched one of his his, his uh, presentations. It's like two and a half hour video on YouTube, and uh, he's like he talks for a little bit, and then he, he plays scenes from movies. <laughs> and like, wow, okay. and it's like it's the movies you would think it's like Wolf of Wall Street, Goodfellas, and shit. Right. <laughs> yeah, like like uh, Wall Street money <laughs> never is- sleeps. Like uh, the Wolf of Wall Street guy, Jordan Belfort, he is a motivational speaker now. Yeah, yeah. And like, so this guy, Sam, is not getting paid and is trying to do the right thing and being like, don't be like Wolf of Wall Street. Meanwhile, that guy is making a ton of money being like, yeah, but it was pretty cool that I did that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like all of it's just like, he's like, yeah, I, I feel so sorry for the people that I defrauded. He's like, but yeah, I did put cocaine in a chick's butt, y'all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all things considered, pretty fucking bananas, right? (laughs) (laughs) I guess, and people like pay him for that. It's very fucked up. Yeah, I I mean, um, this this comedy promoter in Connecticut one time had like a uh, a deal to use. to use like some guy's bar like this this bar in uh, Middletown Connecticut called the Shadow Lounge and this guy lived in LA and owned that bar in Connecticut and I guess like the dude contacted him was like hey can I run a weekly comedy show there he's like yeah sure he's like what do you do you do for door and the guy was like I don't know just run your show and fucking keep 100% of the door you know just like yeah. you know just didn't, didn't care so he was, okay cool thanks runs a few comedy shows there and then books Henry Hill to come and fucking speak what and sells like <laughs> like $30 tickets and shit and like oh, has comedy ruled. beforehand and makes all this fucking money and then just like keeps 100% of the door because that's what he said he could do and the dude got a hold of him like you motherfucker yeah (laughs) I would adore opening for Henry Hill on somebody's scam that rules yeah Yeah, if I could man I want to talk I I forget which of my friends were on that show I might want to that might be an episode and we'll think about that but So anyway, so yeah, these guys were all in there. They had a um, he Sam is still alive. Uh, he has a business uh, where he's just you know just publicly shaming himself <laughs> until he dies. I guess yeah. yeah. I guess you want to call that a business? Is that a business model? <laughs> like, like okay. he's on an ap- a lifelong apology tour. Yeah, yeah. I shame myself and somehow I get money. I'm not. I haven't figured out the fucking the, the <laughs> inner workings of it. But uh, I'm not as good as my uncle yeah. uh, Crazy Eddie, yeah, yeah. but I'm figuring it out. Yeah, so uh, then Eddie Eddie died. Uh, he, I guess he essentially just let you know, the rest of his life relatively obscure. Uh, but he said people would stop him on the street all the time, so I guess it's not obscure. Uh, but they have a, an interview from like 2009, and it's the brothers or the cousins, you know, Eddie and Sam, and they're just like, like they haven't talked in 20 years, and Sam is just like yelling at Eddie, and Eddie is just like very, very cool as a cucumber just sitting there. He's like, don't raise, your voice. don't raise your voice to me. Don't raise your voice to me. <laughs> 
no. Yeah, so he's like, I, I'm everything I am now because of you. That's nothing. It's, it's pretty intense. And then it cuts back. It's like very serious. And it cuts back to the two anchors back in the studio. And they're just laughing. He's like, oh, God, I could listen to them argue all day. <laughs> That was pretty funny. So, yeah, that's the that, that is the story of Crazy Eddie. There's so much more to that though. There's like a, like it's very very extensive. If you want to go look at it, like like look it up. There's um, whole other aspects to the story that like I couldn't even really get into. It's a fucking fascinating yeah, tale. Yeah, twists and turns. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that being said, uh, worth it. I'm. I'm gonna say no. I think because like when it comes down to like long prison times, like I have to like think like it may be fun while you do it, but ultimately I could never really be worth it, man. Like all that money, I don't think is gonna pay for eight years. Man, oh fuck, eight years though. If you had a much, it's no. only eight years, and he was like beloved in his community. Yeah, no, d- yeah, totally worth like it. Totally worth it. Kind of worth it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna say. I mean, <laughs> all I'm gonna say is I worked in the pawn industry for years. I cannot sit and hate on this. I can't be like, no, not worth it at all. That's yeah. This was kind of a man after your own heart in a little bit. Yeah. Not that you're this much of a monster, but like you no. get where he's coming from. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely get it. Yeah, no, totally worth it. Uh, I guess I would just I feel because there was a whole part that I couldn't get into about how to prepare to go public. They they initiated a scam to stop skimming, and um, when they did that, it actually inflated their market price even more because now it looked like they were doing even crazier numbers because they they had stopped skimming. Mm-hmm. And it like it, it started them out of the gate on their uh, their IPO, which started out at like I think eight dollars, yeah. and they they like it skyrocketed to like sixty bucks a share, like in within weeks, because on paper their company went from you know only making a hundred thousand dollars a year in cash sales to make when they stopped stealing it all, now they're making forty million in cash sales, and it's like holy shit, right. look wow, at this thousand percent yeah. growth on this fucking company in two months. <laughs> so yeah, so like I guess I would say that when I, I say that to be like I would just try to rein it in because that's that's the shit that's gonna get you caught like yeah you yeah. gotta you can't like you know you, you just like when you go it's like we go ahead oh uh, yeah when you go crazy like that like you can you can rightfully start to bow out and if you don't then like you that's when you're just digging your grave like it's you're, it's gonna it's gonna eventually come down to that henry hill moment <laughs> where you're just being chased by helicopters stirring sauce and fucking doing cocaine all day <laughs> right i mean like we always say like uh you know if you're gonna do this like don't aim for first place aim yes. for aim for like third or fourth yes 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 make this supplemental to your income yeah. you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't make it your whole thing. So yeah, he, they flew too close to the sun. It happens. Yeah. Uh, International. International.